0: Holy Spirit living in us to enable us to do anything that's not sinful and glorifies God. And so, what that means is, is that as we focus our hearts on worship, as we focus our lives on worship, that brings us to being disciples who make disciples, because that's how we're going to glorify God, by being disciples who make disciples. So this week, we're going to look at defining a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? Next week, we will look at making disciples, but this week, what does it mean to be a disciple? What is a disciple? And so, in order to dig into that, if you would find your Bibles and find Matthew chapter four. Next week we'll be in Matthew twenty-eight. Today, Matthew twenty-four. And today in Matthew four, it is the the initial interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And so we're going to look at at the introduction of the disciples to Jesus and thereby take from that who we are who we should be and so what is a disciple looking at Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 and going through verse 22 so hear the word of the lord from Matthew 4:18 The Bible says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers... James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look into your word, I pray that you look into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your word and to understand it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that even in these weird times, that you would use your word to change us. And Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring you glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So you know that this week in our country has been pretty intense. There have been some who have said that our country fell this week. There have been others that have said it's over, it's the beginning to the end, And a lot of other things. There have been others who said, Finally, we get what we had hoped for. Finally, it's going to change for the better. And I want to say to everyone that this week, certainly not, the end of our country. The end of our country is determinate only on the king of kings. I believe that he started it. I believe that he will end it. If you want to look at the character of man in this country, and from that, from the character of Americans and its leaders, etc., and determining that this week was a sudden downturn, I think it's only sudden because we failed to see the true downturn years ago when this country has turned away from the God of the Bible. And think of how crazy it is to assume that God would bless and hold up a country that does neither of those things to Him. And so from that perspective, if this is you reeling from the events of this week and and seeing that it's kind of crazy times and, and everybody has has demonized the numbers 2020 and I want you to see this. Who God has called us to be has not changed one bit. Not at all. Who he wants us to be as a church hasn't changed at all the power that he is giving to us in order to be who he's called us to be has not diminished one bit. And so, there is nothing in this text, there is nothing in this sermon that has changed one bit because of the events of this week. And so, picture yourself as Peter, Andrew, James, or John, Put yourself into this story, into this text. When God comes calling, what would be your response? So what is a disciple? What is it? If if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer, what does that mean? I have a feeling that the going definition of a disciple, if you were to amass this definition of of churchgoers nationwide, and you were to assemble a definition based on our, our beliefs, our acts, our words, and our character that's on display... It would be at least slightly, if not far different, from the definition given in the word according to Jesus himself. A follower in these, in these contexts, when, when Jesus began his public ministry... And he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He comes up to these guys, and and picture yourself, you may not be much of a fisherman, but imagine you were at work, you were doing what you do for a living, and Jesus comes to you, and he says, follow me, follow me. In both cases, what stands out to me is the immediate reaction. When he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, in verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. In verse 22, the sons of Zebedee, it says, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so, this follow was immediate, but a follower of Jesus is someone who has turned from from the, their sins and themselves and trusts Christ as their Savior. They die to themselves, they surrender their lives to Him as Lord. And I want you to see two two verses, or two texts. One is Luke 9. Luke 9, Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. And then, Galatians 2, in verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So here we are, in a boat, doing our job. Jesus comes by. Perhaps it's the first time they ever met him. Perhaps it's the first time they've seen him. I bet not. I've lived in Gates County for a a year and a half-ish. And if there's one thing I've learned, in a small town, somebody comes to town, people know it. Anything that goes on, people hear it. I imagine that Jesus' reputation had preceded him before he had ever asked them to follow him. But if you consider yourself a disciple, the Bible says that you and I as disciples should deny ourselves, take up our cross, be crucified with Christ, and recognize that it is no longer us that lives, but he that lives in us in us. And so I want to look at, at six primary marks of a disciple. And the first one, the first one is unique because it is it is the only one of the six that happens once and done. And Numbers two through six continue to happen as we mature in Christ. So, if you see yourself as a disciple and as the Bible agrees with you, then you would be one who first has a transformed heart. And you will hear the word transformed a lot. Not just not just changed. You know, it's kind of like when we moved to the boonies of gates county it was pretty interesting to to look through this property and see what all was here and so i go out into the woods and i find i find little treasures all the time the first find was this this pretty big oil tank and you can tell from former pictures of the house it was in use it was probably filled with heating oil back in the day, and and there was a time when they transferred over to to propane or electricity or something else, and it was just rolled out in the woods. Well, because I'm a cheapskate, I thought, man, there's something that I can do with that, surely. Surely there's something I can do with that. And I've seen people use it, cut them in half, and, and make some pretty cool grills and a pig cooker or whatever. But then I start looking more carefully at this thing, and I notice that it's nasty. It is gross. On the inside, you can can hear the scale as you roll it. You hear the scale, and you can feel really thin spots because it is rusted through. But I could, if I wanted to, I could paint it, and you wouldn't know, you would not know that, that it was in great condition. Just by looking at it, I could paint it red like it was, or I could paint it silver like most pig cookers. and But it would be garbage. Imagine if I spent the time and, and welded it up and, and tried to make use of it. On the outside, it might look good, but on the inside, trash. God doesn't just paint us over and make us look good when we trust Him. He transforms us from the inside out. The garbage is gone, the usefulness is totally different because the usefulness is not us, but it's Him. And so, We are spiritually regenerated. We are different creatures. The old has passed away. The new has come. We're totally different. And I know that must freak our non-believing friends out. Because they look at us and physically we may look much the same. But everything else has changed. We are transformed in the heart. And it occurs at the point in time when we surrender our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us and changes us. It's not something that depends on what we do nor who we are. It is something that God does, and we are grateful for that. I don't want a makeover that I could do. I need something that only God can do. And so our our sin is forgiven. We are declared righteous before a holy God. We are adopted as sons into the family of God. All of these things momentarily upon salvation. A transformed heart. Is your heart transformed I believe that this is the most important thing because this is the thing that is the hardest to fake. You have to keep painting. You have to keep painting another coat because the rot's coming through and and all of these things. And so we have to fake who we are to, to our coworkers or our neighbors if we say with our mouth that we're a believer but our heart is rotten and there's no transformed heart then we live a lie. And there's no wonder folks could be stressed out. Think of how hard it is to try to make ourselves look like God changed us when we're just trying to make those changes and we're doing it on our own. And so a true disciple has a transformed heart. And, and picture this as the core Everything else goes on top of this transformed heart. None of the other stuff matters if there's no transformed heart. This is an act of God at salvation, a transformed heart. Is your heart truly transformed? It could be, but you can't do it. It's God and He alone. So number two, not just a transformed heart, but a transformed mind. When our heart changes, it affects the way we think. And so we have this this new way of thinking that where everything is filtered through the heart that is changed by God our mind changes the way we think changes we were talking about in Sunday school today <clears throat> about the evidence of the good news what changes is made what changes are made in our lives when we hear or believe the good news it changes everything it changes our perspective on life it changes our perspective on our neighbors It changes our perspective on the people and the things that annoy us. Those who don't agree with us, it changes. Think about the heart that has been transformed by Christ. That, That mind will start to have the mind of Christ. And let's apply that to where we've been this week as a country. I don't think, well, let me say it this way. Years ago, I said that I believe in my lifetime it will be illegal for me to do my job. As late, as recent as New Year's Day, <clears throat> I had somebody disagree with me. And they, they said that, I believe that it may happen in our future. I just don't think it'll happen in our lifetime. Perhaps our children or our grandchildren's lifetime. And this week those same people stopped arguing. Is the church in America open to persecution in our future? If we continue to follow Christ, He's told us in His Word that those who don't follow Him will hate you because they hated him first now let's take it a step further now what does that mean though if there are people that don't like christians or hate the bride of christ hate his church what then would our transformed mind think of those people well let's think a moment About what what Christ did. I got a feeling that. Jesus' final week on this earth. As people went from singing his praises to killing him. His heart did not change. For what he longed for them. When he wept over Jerusalem and saddened by their hearts. Even when they killed him, he willingly went to the cross for their salvation. Think about that as it relates to a believer today in America. Even if we are persecuted, does it change what he's called us to do? Does it change who he has called us to be, even to those who hate us? What it means is, perhaps our mission field is a little closer than it used to be. And when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Perhaps it rings a little truer this week. And when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But Christ now lives in me. Nowhere does it say, live like Jesus if you're happy or live like Jesus if it's easy, or live like Jesus if it pays well. He says live like Christ, even though it may likely cost you your life. But this only happens when the heart is changed and is reflected through a mind that is transformed by Christ. Because this is not normal. This is not natural. And so we think through a Christian worldview, And as I had a brother say, though this is our mission field, it doesn't mean that we roll over and willingly take it. Well, turning the other cheek may look a lot like rolling over. But, following Christ may also include a whip in the church throwing people out. As we follow Christ... He will change our heart he will transform us from the inside out and he will he will change our mind he will transform our minds. those who are hearing me can you remember earlier in your in your growth process as a Christian can you remember? When you thought about the things of Christ, and it just sounded weird. It sounded crazy. Why would people think that? Why would people do that? And then hopefully as as Christ matured you and transformed your mind, it began to make more sense. But as it makes more sense and you change, the people who aren't in Christ that have no Holy Spirit alive in them more and more think you're not. You're welcome for that, that little bit of realization that the world outside thinks you're nuts. And, and they should. They should. If a non-believing world finds nothing different about you, between you and them, something's wrong. And that leads us to the, the third Primary Mark of a disciple which is transformed affections transformed affections and and really what this is is what do you love what are you passionate about the, this is the way we feel our desires our emotions are changed when the Holy Spirit is alive in your life our affections change It changes a lot of things, including why we do what we do. In other words, it is far different to come to church, you know, come to a church building, or go to Sunday school and follow through and do these things because you think that is what you're supposed to do. And you've heard... You've heard me and others say many times, is it just checking off a box? Is it duty or is it delight? Being with God's people, worshiping God, is it duty or delight? Is it religion or relationship? And I believe that this is defined... By our affections. What are our affections? And and I guess a good rule of thumb would be, what what are you thinking about when you are worshiping? What are you thinking about when you are with God's people in church? If you are thinking about the character of God, or you are thinking about... The sinfulness of your heart in comparison with a holy God? Or are you thinking about, man, there are three NFL games that come on right after this. Are you thinking about what is in the oven, what's for lunch... I'm not trying to set up a bunch of rules to help us to think and check off another box or my affections really for Christ. What I am trying to do is point us to evidences of change in us. Evidences of what God is doing and wants to continue to do in us. Do we find ourselves loving the things of God more than the things of this world? Are we willing to trust that God knows how to satisfy us? Are we willing to give God the right in our heart to satisfy us completely? And that struggle is only met with with success as we give Him control in our lives. And so we must simply trust that God knows what will satisfy us and let Him do what only He can do. So discipleship. To the boat. Back to the boat. These guys are fishing. And we learn throughout the text throughout Scripture that these guys aren't the, the most intelligent humans on the face of the planet, most likely. They were called unlearned or uneducated. But God transformed them. He transformed their heart. He transformed their mind. He transformed their affections where they they longed for Christ more than they longed even to make a living he was more important to them than their earthly father than their career immediately they left and so god is a god of transformation And the fourth characteristic here is a transformed will. He transforms our will. He transforms our life to do what God says. To make us humbly obedient to Him. John 15 is is the abide passage. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then you will produce fruit. In other words, if if we hang close to him, if we learn from him, if we follow him by reading his word and keeping his commands, then we begin to look more like Jesus. We begin to want the things of Christ. As our heart changes, as our mind changes, as our emotions change, then our will changes. As our heart, mind, and affections look more like Jesus, we will obey Him more. When our will follows close in step to His will, then you see the life change taking shape in what we do, in the next step that our feet actually take, the next step that we actually agree to take. And being the the beginning of, of January, it should be very easy for us to understand what happens when our will, powered by only us, sets to a task. We call them resolutions. And they're going to last, on average, another month and two days. We know how bad we are at avoiding chocolate or caffeine or carbs or fat or, or whatever it is. We know we stink at it. We long for it. We yearn for it. We feel that we are addicted to it. And we justify how much better our lives will be with those things. And how doing without it would be devastating. And we figure out by February the 13th or so, that, you know, my willpower is horrible. My inner willpower is a wimp. But with Christ, all of this changes. How bad are we when we try to follow the things of God without the power of God in our lives? When He transforms our will and makes us humbly obedient to Him, then, and, and really only then, are we going to obey Him? Only then are we going to truly follow Him. And it's that, those seeds that are broadcast and, and some fall in the rocky ground and, and perhaps it begins to take root, but not very long. The roots are very shallow. The, the heat scorches on the rocks and, and death. And this looks to me a lot like our attempts. It looks like our January kind of attempts that that don't last very long. But can we allow ourselves to be humble and obedient to God and do what He says? And He changes our will and He empowers our steps as we follow Him. And we begin to look like Him and look like a disciple of His. And then as that grows, as our will grows, Transforms into the image of Christ, then number five changes as well. The fifth mark is a transformed relationship or transformed relationships, sacrificially loving. Would we describe ourselves as sacrificially loving? Love as Jesus loves. I've seen this, this redefinition or redefining of what loving like Jesus means in our society defined by those who don't know Jesus. And let me clarify that. We have all throughout our society, Jesus is all about love. And if you were like Jesus, then you would love. And you would love anything and anybody. But I can assure you that Jesus does not love sin. Not yours, not mine. And even though you can say that if Jesus is love, then anything loving is of God. Well, that's how you have to do it to say, I'm going to love God somebody's wife that's not mine, and have Jesus approve of that. Guys, that's garbage. That goes against the things of God. But yet we live in a society that justifies this by rewriting the definition of what Jesus calls love. Specifically in His Word. we are led to love love one another we are led to to love our spouse but then we just we hose up these definitions we redefine what spouse means we redefine one another and then we give it Jesus is a stamp of approval because God is love. If I love another dude or four or five dudes and, and all of this garbage, well then it's love. And so love spelled L-O-V-E. If Jesus is love, if God is love, if you are of God, you have to love. And God, it makes me want to vomit just saying it out loud. Transformed relationships means to be sacrificially loving. If you're in a godly marriage, you know that in order to be married to your spouse, it takes sacrifice. And if you don't think it does, ask your spouse. Because it does. but also to be, to be in a relationship as a family of faith, to be the body of Christ. We are a bunch of, of weird people with a sin nature, and God has called us to love one another. I have displayed my weirdness, I believe, fairly well, But I think we have been pretty good at keeping a wraps on most people's weirdness. But even the weirdness you know, even the personalities that you know, and the believers that you've met in this church, in other churches, Think of how weird people are. How irritating people can be even people who have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. And so, we need the power of God to be loving with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the ticket with this. 1st you know, John 3 tells us to love one another and there's a lot of reasons why we want to love one another but one of the reasons is because those who don't know Christ will be well introduced to Christ by seeing his love in us and so if you are in a church or you've been in a church that they do not get along and they fight and And all of this, what that does is advertise to the world, this is what it means to be the people of God. This is what it means to be the body of Christ, because they will know us by our fruit. They will see the love of Christ in us. And if that is the love of Christ, that is in a jacked up church, hating one another, why In the name of all that is holy, would we expect a non-believing world to beat our doors down to serve our God? And so let us allow God to transform our relationships and love sacrificially so that we can bring Him glory. So are we loving one another think on these things. Because all of these other things, the the transformed life, the transformed heart and mind, affections and will, and transformed relationships, all of these things are even at the center of the final one, and that is when we are in Christ as disciples of His, if we follow Christ We will have a transformed purpose. And what this means is is that we will be missionally engaged. This, This means as a reason for our existence, we exist to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? By being disciples. How do we become disciples? A work of God where He transforms our heart. And then the continued work of the Spirit as He transforms every part of us. Our mind, our will, our affections, our relationships, and everything. But as everything transforms, it transforms why we even live. Everything we do, the purpose for our very existence, comes into focus when we understand that Christ is our Savior. And so we will spend a lot more time in Matthew 28 next week as we speak about making disciples. But I want to make, I want to make this clear. In the Bible, there is zero concept, absolute zero concept of a marginal Christian. None. There is no concept of a believer who does not share the gospel and live the gospel. It's just not there. there is, there's no concept, there's no story, there's no allusion to it in the text of a person that goes to a building and kind of hangs out with the church herd but does not seek to be like Christ... And fish for men. I don't know if that's an American definition. Or this century, this millennium definition. But it is not biblical. To be a follower of Christ is to be a fisher of men. Period. And if we are not sharing the gospel with the hopes of making disciples for Christ, then we are definitely not doing what God has called us to do. And so I don't... What I want to accomplish right here is I do not want you to think you are normal if you have been a part of a church for 112 years, or however long it's been, and you have never, ever led one person to Christ, and in fact you've not even tried, and you have normalized that and feel like you are an upstanding citizen of the kingdom of God, an upstanding member of the church, I want to dispel that, because that is not true. God has called us to fish. He has called us as the purpose of our life on this planet to share the gospel, to share his name, to live the life, to be a follower captivated by the Great Commission. And so we will camp out here next week. But I believe this is one of the greatest oversights In the modern day American church. And so. I believe that this church. This church does. Does discipleship. And missions. Better than many. Better than most perhaps. But we're not done. Until every. Member. Is a missionary. And I don't mean by getting passports and going to Africa. Though that may be exactly what this means for you. What I do mean is, is a heart that's transformed to the point where our will and our affections and our minds think about who we are in Christ and how could we not live that out verbally And not live it out in our steps, not live it out in our finances, not live it out in everything we do, is to be for Christ. Before we close, I think that, you know, the events of this week have made people think. And there's been a lot of, of reflecting on what ifs. What if? What if certain freedoms are stripped? What if it's no longer popular to be a Christian? What if it's no longer legal? What if, what if, what if? And as you think those things... I hope that this leads you to wanting to be real because what has happened in history when the screws are tightened when the costs are heightened for what it means to be a believer when there's consequences or there's pain or or whatever then it forces people to make a decision. Am I in or am I out? The easy decision in many cases is to run like the proverbial rat from the burning ship. But this ship ain't burning. And Christ says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But what I'm praying for you as we look at this text and what it means to be a disciple, when those four men <clears throat> got out of the boat and followed Christ, it meant watching their leader die, it meant their eventual death, it meant having them be accused of being with Him. It meant giving up their career. It meant giving up perhaps a steady place to stay. What would being a real disciple mean for you? Perhaps it's meant being an upstanding citizen. And it's meant a lot of other things. But what if that changes? What if it means to give up certain freedoms? What does it mean? What would it mean if it meant no public worship? What if it meant being put out of your family? What if it meant you couldn't work? It's your current job. Are you a Christian that happens to be an American? Or are you an American that happens to be a Christian? Think on this. <clears throat> and as we look next week at missions, making disciples... It is disciples who make disciples. And so first, we have to make sure we are a disciple. And then what are we exporting? What is in us that we are going to pass on in our Christian DNA to the next generation of of believers? And if it doesn't begin with a transformed heart, then we got problems. But the awesome thing is is there is one immediate solution to our problem and that is Christ. Let's run to him. Let's run to him. Let's run to him and cling to him. Let's run to him and and confess our sin, confess that we thought that we were God and we really aren't or we were worshiping an idol, whether that be a financial one or a political one or whatever, let's run to him and allow him to transform every aspect of our being so that our lives and the lives we impact for him bring him glory. And so think on these things. Next week, We will likely be back together. But I think that now is the perfect time for you to think introspectively. Nobody is looking at you unless there's another weirdo in the house with you. This is an opportunity for you. To lay your heart open to God and allow Him to to take stock in who you are. And to show you the sin in your life, show him, or for Him to show you what He wants to do in your life. And really, what's up to us is, is that will, is that access. Will we give God access to every area of our life to do what He wants to do, to allow us to, to be empowered for everything in our lives to change? And to see that He is the most important thing. The most important thing in us. And so, when the, when the video gets cut off, you still have time. And just where you are, don't run to the TV. Don't run to the refrigerator or to the crock pot or whatever. Spend some time even right now Asking the questions in your heart. Lord, am I real? Am I a disciple? Or have I just been painting myself to look like one? God, would you transform me to make me look like you? To make me think like you? To make me walk like you? To make me speak like you? To make me love like you? To make me live like you? Do whatever it takes. So that He is that one thing that is more important than anything else. More important than being right. More important than being free. More important than being alive. The most important thing is to be in Christ for His glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You so much for being real. Lord, even when we're fake, thank you for being real. And God, I thank you for being powerful. Lord, when we are weak, thank you for being powerful. Lord, I just thank you for the fact that you know everything. You are an omniscient God. And even when we think we know something, you know. And God, when we are stuck in the here and now, and we are limited by time, you are timeless. When we are stuck looking right now at the thing right before us, You've already seen it, and you are so far beyond us. And so, Lord, we as a body of believers acknowledge that we are nothing without you. But we also acknowledge that with you, nothing can stand against what you do in us and through us. And so, God, encourage us in these days And help our countenance to not look as one who is defeated, but Lord, help our eyes and our minds and our work look like that we serve the King who is victorious. Lord, help us to get our strength from you and nowhere else. Help us to give our glory to you and to no one else. And Father, I pray, that you would love us and show us that love that we see alive in your word and help that to be all that matters as we seek to be a body of believers that long for your glory by being disciples who make disciples. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.